everybody. Welcome to the show. You know where you are, Expert Talk with me, Tigo. And you know I get excited about entrepreneurs. You know I get excited because I get to bring experts from all over the world to share their message and show you their trailblazing story. But today, today, today we have humanitarian, award-winning, motivational speaker, coach. You just have no idea. You know what? I'll be right back. expert speaker, co-founder and owner, co-owner of Paul Mitchell Schools, and just one of the coolest dudes on the planet is right here right now. When are you out there? Oh, I'm here. And th thankfully, you called me a cool dude because I'm a, I'm 62 years old with a nine-year-old daughter. So I, I need to be cool for a very long time. Oh, yeah. You're super cool. And she's got a great dad. I'm super excited. But I've got to ask you, when we talk about leadership, which is one of your specialties, what side do you fall on the coin? Old school, new school, and what's the difference to you? Tigo, that's a, that's a really good question um, because I think a lot of people still live by that old school culture of leadership, which is that you, you dictate, you control, you think it's your job to police your people. And you can ask an audience of a thousand people because I've done this. Uh, how many of you ever worked for somebody like that before? Every hand goes up. And how many of you feel like you wanted to make the company more money? What, what do they say that that people quit jobs? They don't quit companies. They, they, they quit their boss. Uh, in fact, 60 percent of people say that they quit uh, because of the boss. And by the way, Great. it's not it's not the, uh, the the bad people that are quitting. It's, it's the most talented people within an organization. They quit because they know they deserve better. Yeah, I totally understand. But there's a lot of people out there that believe in that old school way and they just feel like they can't be a leader. They can't make, you know, let people grow into better people without being a jerk. So what do you tell them? How do they do that without being a jerk? Because I know I've had a couple of jerks as bosses in my day, too. Well, first of all, leadership is not a title. It's not a position. It's a mindset. It's an attitude. And one of my definitions of leadership is someone who has influence over another human being. And by that definition, all of us are leaders. And so when I talk to people about becoming a better leader, the, the path that I'm on to improve my own leadership skills and my, the own qualities that I have, um, it's, it's all about having that wonderful positive influence. Because if you imagine that if you have 10 employees, you're not just having influence over those 10 people, those 10 people that you work with, well, those 10 people, they go home and they have spouses, right. they have family members. What if there's five people in their family times 10 people? That means that you're impacting. If you show up with that old style of leadership where you are a jerk, where you think it's your job just to police and demean people, you're not just impacting those 10 people, those 10 people that you work with. Uh, it's those family members as well. And that's a lot of responsibility that's on us. So let's talk about that. You know, because a lot of the people that watch our show, 
it, they're entrepreneurs, you know, and some of them, this is their second career. This is their third career. And all of us here from motivational speakers, we hear it on television. We go to events and they say, surround yourself with the right people. Get around the right mindset. How do you do that? How do you even know if you have the right people? Maybe you think you're with the right people and they're absolutely not the right ones. First of all, however you define success, whether it's as a parent or as a human being or, or financially in business, I don't know one successful person who has achieved that success all on their own. You can watch any awards show, and when they call people to the stage to accept their award, what, what's the speech? Is the speech, I am winning this award tonight because I am brilliant? No. No, it's all about gratitude. I'm standing here because of this person and this person. I, I could have never made this happen without without these people. And so I'm always asking people, well, who are those people? Who are the people that believe in you? They believe in your vision. They believe in your journey so much that you're attracting the best people and they want to support that vision and that, and that journey. So collaboration is such a beautiful thing. And I think a lot of people are living by that old belief system that if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. And to me, right. that is just like the stupidest advice that somebody could give you because it's, it's so small minded to think that you have to do it yourself because collaboration, when you know how to bring out the best and other people, that's when you're going to soar. That's when you're limitless, because if you are the talent, most talented, smartest person working in your company, in your organization with your entrepreneurial idea, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you because, again, you're you're very, very limited in what you're going to be able to accomplish. Now, you're you know, you're a humanitarian. You're a very successful entrepreneur. You're a motivational speaker. Some people are struggling right now just to open one business, just to control their lives and balance their family life and their business life for one location. You've got one hundred and ten locations, which means you're either running around a lot or you have a really, really great staff and team. And how do you get that many people on a global scale like that to kind of get on the same page and flow as one? Again, a great, a great question. One of my favorite movies is Field of Dreams. And the main line, the main message in that movie is build it and they will come. Yes. I, I truly believe that the, the most talented individuals, the smartest, most passionate, loyal, hardworking, integral people they want to work with somebody who has those qualities as well. And so you have to be those things. Gandhi said, be the change. And so you have to be that type of person that somebody wants to follow. You will attract those people if that's where you come from in your heart. But again, if you're still living by an old school style of, of leadership, of controlling and policing and manipulating people, then there's no way that you're going to attract wonderful, positive, hardworking, loyal people to come work for you. Now, see, when I was a little kid, my mom and dad, especially my dad, would tell me, you be nice out there. Don't embarrass me. Remember, you're a goss. And <laughs> always remember, I could be standing right behind you. My dad's been gone for quite some years, but I still look over my shoulder when I get a little angry sometimes. Being nice is very important, but it's even more important in your business. Right, right when? Isn't that, isn't that funny why some people think or they do believe that it's important to be nice in your relationships, to be nice in public, but then they don't think that that has any place in the workplace. You know, people have this old school idea that if you're nice at work, then people will walk all over you. Nobody will take you seriously and that you have to be a jerk. You, you can't be nice in the workplace because that's not a strong leadership role.
Yeah, totally. And it is very important. I believe it has to be not only for your team, who we call our family here at Melrose, not only for our family, but also for the people you're touching. You know, it's to me, it's my personal opinion. It's not about, you know, the retail price tag because you can get anybody to buy one time. The secret is getting them to come back, going out and tell their friends, going out and tell their other clients that it's a great place to be. The reason when is sitting here today is because Kelly, one of my good, good buddies, Kelly said, do you know when Clayball? And I said, no. And he said, oh my God, he'd be great for the show. Well, if I wasn't being nice, if I didn't respect him, if he didn't love being on the show, he wouldn't have referred when to me. So yeah, I totally believe if you want to grow your business, you got to be nice and you also got to pay your rent. Right, when? Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that you brought that up. Uh, especially with the times that we're in right now, when, when consumers have a choice as to how they spend their money and where they spend their money. And of course, people spend their money, they, they use their, their, their mind, they use their mind to make that decision. But I also believe that people spend with their heart. Do I, mm -hmm. do I like you? Do I trust you? And a big part of whether or not a customer is loyal to a company, doesn't matter the product that you're selling, the service that you're selling, a big part of that is that uh, are you giving back? Are you making a difference? Because we can be, all of us are consumers. We consume air, we consume water, we consume trees. Uh, as businesses, we consume the paychecks of our customers who come into our facilities to spend their hard-earned money. Well, we also have to be contributors. And I think that you're making reference to that wonderful quote, that service is the rent that we pay for room yes. on this planet. We're, we're all taking up space. We have to pay rent. So I've got to ask you, you know, it seems like you jump out of bed and you're a hundred percent on. I'm a humongous Zig Ziglar fan. You know, he said, be up all the time and on when you need to be, or be on all the time and up when you need to be. What has anything ever held you back? Have you ever had a fear that stopped you in your tracks? Wow. You ask good questions. Um, my, my energy, I don't even mind sharing with you that even my level of happiness does not come naturally to me. To, to some people, happiness and, and good energy comes naturally to them. To me, my whole life, even to this day, it never has. And so I've learned, again, through mentors, I've learned through being a good dad of what it takes for me to, first of all, just to be happy, because that's the, mm -hmm. the greatest gift that we give to other people, uh, is our own self-esteem, is a gift that we give to the planet, uh, but also just to have really good energy. Uh, again, at 62 years old, my daughter needs a dad who is ready to go and, and ready to keep up with her. I'm, I'm proud to say that I've been the room parent for her uh, classroom every single day, or I'm sorry, every single year from pre-K up until now fourth grade. And before I let you out of the hot seat, I do not want Miss Young Clayball to say anything to me about why I didn't ask this question. I've got to ask, how did being a dad change your life? Oh, gosh. How, how many hours do you have? Oh, we got <laughs> the main thing is to, to, to be present because I'll tell you, it was during the lockdown at the beginning of the lockdown. Now, it used to be that I went off to work. My daughter went off to school. So me going off to work is when I would get my work done. Well, now we're all there together in the house. So right. I've got to work right while she's doing distance learning at school. And so I'm on my phone a lot. She didn't used to see me on my phone a lot because she was gone at school. Right. And she said to me, she said at one time, she said, Daddy, you love your phone more than you love me. Ooh. And 
Now, again, I, I got to the window. Well, sweetheart, you don't understand. You don't get it. Daddy has to work. We're on a lockdown. No. I needed to own her perception of me. Her perception was that daddy cares more about his phone than he cares about me. And so I had to take that to heart. And I, I learned a valuable lesson, not just with my daughter, but how many times had my employees thought of that about me, that he cares more about his phone than he cares about me. And I need to own that perception. And so um, that's the one thing that I've learned. I, I have to be present. I've got to be present. And so all of us, I think, could could do better to create better boundaries when it comes to uh, the attention that we give to people, especially to our, our children, to our spouse, to the people that mean a lot to us. And especially also, again, message to those entrepreneurs out there. You're trying to attract wonderful, positive, loyal people to your company, to your organization, to your idea. You need to be present for them as well. Oh, I can't think of a better place to stop this episode with you because I hope you'll come back again and come back often. We just touched the surface. You're an amazing man. I want to thank you so much for coming on Expert Talk and spending a few minutes with me. You guys, you have no idea. Thank you so much, sir, for being on the show. Tigo, you're a sweetheart. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everybody, as you saw behind him, go to winclayball.com. Go find out about his books. If he is out there virtually or in person doing events, get a ticket. You will not regret it. This man is amazing. And we're going to have him come back, hopefully often, because there's so much more to learn. If you're watching right now, I've got somebody waiting in the wings that is an expert, that is cool, that's going to share some amazing information. But today, we're going even further. Today, we're going to talk to somebody that is quickly becoming one of my good friends. But then on top of that, we're going to touch on some stuff like, hmm, when you think of situations that are going on, do you focus on the problem or do you focus on the solution? If you're focusing on the problem, you've come to the right place because when we're done, you're going to be focused on the solution. All right, sit right there. We'll be right back. talk about something that everybody, if you're in business, if you're going to college, if you're working at, you know, McDonald's and you're worried about the problems every day, and then you wonder why you're not getting ahead, it's because you're not worried about or thinking about the solution. Focus on the glass half full and not half empty. And the specialist, the guy that's quickly becoming a good friend of mine, Keurig Ashley is here. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Keurig, are you out there? I am here all the way from the Sunshine Coast of Australia. 
Okay, so I've got to ask you, you know, you have an amazing history. You were an actor, you were a stuntman. You know, you're one of the most successful success coaches on the planet, you know, and now you're a an, an successful author, all that good stuff. What got you started? What makes you go, one day I want to be an actor? Or did you? And it just happened one day. Uh, well, I, as, as I said earlier, Teresa, I was living in Chicago. I was born and raised there. And um, I was 12 years old. And I, my dad, he worked in construction. You know, he was old school, grew up in the Great Depression, all those things. And so I said, hey, dad, you know, I decided what I want to do with my life. I want to be an actor. And I said, do you think I'll make it? And he says, you have no drive, no talent, no determination. You'll be a laborer on one of my construction sites digging ditches. And because wow. of that, I, I, he wasn't, um, by the way, he wasn't being mean. He wasn't being cruel. What he was doing was trying to be a great father and shoot me down from a, an industry that is riddled with, you know, porn and drugs and people not working and all that stuff. So he was just trying to be a good dad. No, but I, I took it at 12 years old. I went down. I lied about my age. I auditioned at Second City and got on stage there with uh, Jim Belushi. George went from Cheers and spent a number of years at Second City. And then I left for Hollywood when I was 18 years old. Wow. And uh, and it took me three years to get my first job. But the first movie I did was Two of a Kind with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. So much fun to work with them. I mean, your first movie? That's how you and, started and, out. <laughs> it, well, also, you know, John and I became friends instantly on the show. And uh, just we all became friends and I got to hang out with them, um, you know, in their dressing room and making salads together. It was just the best time ever. So once you got into this business, was it like, okay, you got your first gig and then it's like, okay, here comes another, here comes another. Or were you, did you have like gaps in there where you had to figure out, okay, how am I going to eat today? There's gaps. There's definitely gaps. And so what I did is I, uh, John Travolta and also the actor James Woods both talked to me because I knew them both really well. And they said, look, if you want to be a, a professional actor, it's a technical business. You need to know all the equipment, camera, lenses, lights, all those things. So I got a job behind the camera and I started working as a key in Dolly Grip and wound up doing over 500 movies. Wow. So it's, uh, you know, there's gaps, but I, I, I didn't want to wait tables or anything. I still wanted to be in the industry working. Stunt coordinators started hiring me when they needed uh, a stunt player who could deliver dialogue. And that's what happened with uh, like Delta Force 2 and, and things like that. Now, you mentioned Delta Force 2. I mean, how many movies have you done? And and how many people, I mean, still, you know, you're talking Stallone. We got a picture of you with Stallone. It's like, how many different people have you been had the opportunity to be on set with? There it is. There's a photo with you and Stallone. You guys look like brothers. <laughs> I don't know if Sly would say that, but uh, that's his house. <laughs> that's his house. We were watching the show. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, he has a Megatron which is one of those TVs that they have a side of the buildings in New York City, in Times Square. You know, and I said, hey, wow. Sly, I didn't know they made those for homes. And he goes, they do now. <laughs> he had a custom made for his house. But I've, I've worked with so many great people. Uh, and, you know, to me, they're, they're peers. They're people you work with. And, mm -hmm. you know, the thing, Teresa, is that what people don't really get about the movies is that it's a business like any other business. And the people who work, are the people who know how to market themselves. So Sylvester Stallone hasn't been a movie star for 45 years by accident. You know, right. he knows how to market himself. And back in the 80s, I remember him telling me about 
you know, that it costs like $50,000 a month just to be Sylvester Stallone. You need the bodyguards, you need the car, you need all these things because he can't show up in the soccer mom van. You know, right. people need that star. And so, and he goes, that's my job because I'm not an actor, I'm a movie star. And so that's my job. When you were an actor, and I, I think once you're an actor, you're always going to be one. Would you ever go back on screen again? Is there a project that you look at and see on, on your home TV and go, man, I should have done that one. That could have been me. Do you miss no, I gave, all my, <laughs> I gave all my work to Vin Diesel. Um, <laughs> no, no. I, the thing to, I still get asked every once in a while, and I'm just not interested. The thing is because of I used to play a lot of bad guys. And you know, with what I do now, I think it's just a confusing message, you know, for people if they see me playing a bad guy on screen and then teaching personal development and, and the things that I teach now. I can see that. I can see that. And people do get, you know, typecast and they no matter what they do, they're always seen as that character or in a movie, you know, where you actually had a life changing occurrence that happened. And, and sent you on a whole nother path. Can you share that story with me? Yes, uh, I, I, it was uh, 1989. I had just finished the movie Lockup with Sylvester Stallone, you know, which mm-hmm. here I'm getting to work with the legend, you know, the icon. And uh, my next movie was Delta Force Two with Chuck Norris. And it was a, uh, a Friday. Uh, we're about to go party in Manila, have a great time. We have one last shot to film. It's just a small, um, uh, insert shot where you only have to go up 15 feet with the helicopter, uh, mm-hmm. shoot two lines of dialogue, come back down. Now I've been in a helicopter all day. You know, I probably did 15, 18 flights that day and wow. some re- really hairy stunts. This was easy. And so uh, um, we have eight guys in the chopper. We're sitting on top of this palatial mansion that the Marcos family built as a summer home. And it's right on the edge of an extinct volcano, which has a resort in the center of the volcano. It's really amazing. Wow. It's called Tagatai City. And the place that we we're at is called the Palace in the Sky. And um, the chopper goes up about two feet and hovers. The cameraman shifts the camera looking for a shot. He, I asked him, I said, hey, Gotti, am I in? He goes, nope, you're out of frame. So I step out, the other door gunner steps out, chopper goes up, drifts out over the mount, uh, edge of the mountain, has a mechanical malfunction. The engine shuts off and drops about uh, 1500 feet uh, nose dives down I'm running for the road choppers going down choppers going down and uh, I heard the impact as I got to the chopper I was the first one to get to it it was uh, smoking it was on its side all the blades shirt off and uh, over the course of the next few hours uh, my best friend Mike uh, was in my arms on fire wow died on the way to the hospital I lost five of my friends that day. Uh, so, you know, for the next two and a half years, I had a 357 Smith & Wesson pistol in my mouth every night, uh, counting myself down. Uh, drugs up my nose, cigarettes, booze. I wasn't partying. I was just trying to kill myself. Luckily, I'm not a success at everything in life. Um, but one day I woke up and realized that your life is not your own. There's people who love you and care about you and look up to you. And you're going to take them down with you. So I realized this is not my legacy and uh, that I stepped over the line. I gave up cocaine. I gave up cigarettes. I gave up alcohol abuse. I gave all my guns away. It's used to be the worst, most traumatic time of my life. And now it's one of the most empowering because of changing my perception about it. And what really changed it was asking that magic question, 
what's great about this? And I know it's a really right. strange question, but when you ask it and you expect an answer, well, the answers I got was, um, you know, I, Mike died in my arms, not in a stranger's arms, and that all the care for the guys was given to them. And I forgot that I lived. That's a pretty good one. And, you know, once I got through the drama, I remembered that I also saved two people's lives that day. Um, and But you forget about that when you get caught up in your drama. So as I listen to you share the story, and thank you so much for sharing that, because it, you know, it feels like it happened yesterday, just listening yeah. to you share it, you know, and I know you carry that with you. I'm sure there's somebody out there that's fighting through their moment right now that has just not gotten to the point where they're ready to put that line in the sand and say, okay, I'm over this. It's time for me to step up or step out. What would you say to that person that you, you know, at that time, if you could talk to yourself, what would you say to that person that's going, yeah, I don't know if I can do tomorrow? Well, I, I would say is that, you know, there's, there's people that um, you can help in this planet and there's people who you can uh, give advice and strategy to and stuff. But those people are slipping through the cracks when we're caught up in our own drama. You know, drama, you know, people's stories, they create what I call drama glue. They keep you stuck in the story. Then they keep the rest of us stuck listening to it. Uh, so instead is, you know, only tell empowering stories. Start changing your perception about, you know, by asking what's great about this or how can I look at this in an empowering way. And just by changing your perception, you're going to change the way you feel about it. Because in life, there is no real truth. There's only interpretation. I mean, is that good or bad? I mean, I, the funny thing is you can hand people a free bar of gold and they'll complain about having to carry it to the bank because it weighs too much and probably get taxed on and the rest of the things. Yeah, um, they will. <laughs> That's amazing. It's like some people, you know, I started the conversation. I started this interview with some people look at the problem you know, or find the problem when there isn't one instead of just enjoying the moment and, and, and looking at solutions and moving forward. What, that's a big part of your life. How do you teach that to someone? How do you get somebody to get past pretty much themselves? A lot of times what's stopping you is you. Well, there's two magic questions, Teresa, that I ask everybody who needs help. And by the way, I've coached hundreds and hundreds of people I've been in front of over a million people on stage. You know, I've had workshops and other things that I do. The, the first question is, is do you want to change? Yes or no? Not yes, but here's my story. Yes or no? Because in order for things to change, I must change. The world's not going to come and find me and, you know, all of a sudden, yes, you know, match up to my energy and give you all the rewards. Is that You have to change yourself. You have to evolve yourself. Uh, Charles Darwin said, it's not the strongest of the species that would survive, nor the most intelligent. It's the ones who are most able to adapt, which means evolve. So do you want to change? Yes or no? If they say yes, then the next question is, is do you want help with that? See, because just because they, they said yes, to, I, I want to change, doesn't mean they're asking you for help. Well, I know I got to let you out of here. I asked you for 10 minutes. I've kept you for almost a half an hour, but I just love talking with you. I love connecting with you. I would love it if you come back again and, and hang honored. out with us. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You know I want you to come back next time. And if for some reason you miss Curic at CuricAshley.com, you know what to do. Go to Tigo Direct. You can find out more information about my new brother, my new family member. And as always, I'm Tigo. I'll talk to you next time.